0: Good morning. For over two years now, we have seen human vulnerability at its highest. A virus that we cannot see with our naked eyes has brought the whole of humanity to our knees. In these times, nobody feels big, everybody is vulnerable. Whether you are the Pope, whether you are the Queen of England, whether you are the Prime Minister, all have succumbed to a tiny, tiny virus that only wants to live. And it shows our human vulnerability, and we can't find solutions. We think we found it, and then it mutates. We think we found it, and it mutates. In all this, we know that God is sovereign. That our God is the God of the universe. And if you doubt how big our God is, let me give you an idea. Our Earth belongs to a solar system. The sun is our closest star. You know how many stars there are in the universe? About 10 to the power 22 stars. And some stars are 100,000 light years. A light year is the time, uh, the distance it takes for light that travels at 300,000 kilometers per second to reach you. So, from some of the stars we see in the sky, we are seeing them as they were 10,000 years ago. And then, on this tiny, tiny Earth amongst the universe, there are 7.7 billion people. So where do you fit in there? And if God is the creator of the universe, then he's far, far greater than we can ever imagine. He has all power, all authority, all wealth. And if that is the case, how can we earn his favor? This mighty God, how can we earn his favor? And what should be our attitude in serving him? He owes us nothing, but we owe him all our lives. So this morning, I want you to turn to me to a parable Jesus told his disciples. And that is in Luke 17, verse 1 to 10. So this is Jesus with his disciples. It reads, Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. But woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostle said to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. He replied, If you have faith small as a master's seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Then Jesus goes on to the real parable. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down and eat. Wouldn't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. Servants. We have only done our duty. Another translation says, We are unprofitable servants. We have only done our duty. So in this encounter, we see Jesus interacting with his disciples. And he gives them a command, in fact, two commands, that he finds so difficult to obey. First, he says, Don't cause any other person to sin. If you do, it would be better for you to have a millstone around your neck and you thrown down into the sea. In other words, there's a punishment awaiting you if you cause another person to sin. Now, that is so difficult to know for sure whether you are the reason somebody is sinning. To add more to that, he asks a second command. If your brother or sister offends you, sins against you, and comes and repents, forgive him or her. Not once, not twice, seven times. And remember, in this society, seven is a perfect number. So in other words, what Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter how many times. Your neighbor, your brother, your sister sins against you. You must forgive. Clearly, the disciple says, Wow, how difficult it will be to forgive so many times. This person offends me, does the same thing over and over, seven times in a day. I should forgive. And he doesn't say, Consider. He said, You must forgive. So, in their desperation, they ask Jesus for help. Increase our faith, they said. Increase our faith. Without faith, we are unable to do this. And Jesus tells them, if you have faith as small as the master seed, master seed is known as the smallest seeds, you'll be able to say to this marble bush, be thrown, be uprooted, and be planted in the sea, and it will be done. In other words what we are incapable of doing in ourselves, with faith in God, that becomes possible. And it doesn't have to be big faith. As small as it is, no matter how small, whatever we can do for ourselves, we can accomplish through faith in him, no matter how small. And Jesus realized that his disciples were We're really exasperated. How can we follow this master? He's given us commands that are so difficult to obey. And he's talking about faith. We don't have faith, even however small. So he goes on to tell the parable of the unworthy servant or the unprofitable servant. And what we notice in this parable is that there are two people, the master and the servant. And in Jesus' parables, you need to focus on the characters that are being described. The master here represents God, and the servant represents us, his disciples. What is clear in this parable is that the master has absolute authority over his servant. It says, which of you, if your servant comes from the fields, ask the servant to come and cook and eat before you do? None. The answer to that question is, of course, none. Nobody would do that. The servant puts on his or her apron, serves the master, serves dinner, and once the master has had dinner, then will the servant be able to take their meal. The command to serve the master is something that the servant has to obey. They have no choice of their own but to obey the master. God has absolute authority over us and commands us as he wills. The servant has no authority to question the master's command and deserves no thanks. I mean, you would think from this parable that that would be very rude that a servant serves his master. That's all things. And doesn't even get a thank you. Remember, in the first century when Jesus was telling this parable, the slave-master relationship is not that kind of relationship that today etiquette would demand, that even if you are the boss and the servant or the, uh, the, the janitor comes, you say thank you. It is expected that you say thank you. In that culture, that will not happen because the servant has done their duty. And what Jesus is saying here is that the servant has no authority to question the master's command and deserves no thanks for obeying him. And so he says, at the end of the day, when we have done what we were supposed to do, we should say we are unworthy servants, unprofitable servants. Kayleigh was alluding to the fact that we have been in this church for 20 years, a little more, and what I've seen in church history, in church practice, that often, when disputes occur in churches, it is because of power play. And I will explain what I mean. We think we are important because of the roles we play in the church. I am the deacon. I am the chair of the board. I'm the leader of the dog greeters. I am the person who leads worship. I am a Bible teacher. Therefore, what I say should count. And you're not listening to me. I'm not going to take the other because we are the ones who lead, who are the ones who work. And often, we are counting so much on what we do. Jesus is saying in his books, If you are serving him, you are only doing your duty. You deserve no thanks. And God owes you nothing. There is nothing we can do to help God. Nothing we can do to make God gay. If we serve him, we serve him, we please him. Not because we are worthy, but because he chooses to let us serve. In fact, Job, in chapter 22, verse 2 and 3, actually describes this very well. He asks, Can a person do anything to help God? Can even a wise person be helpful to him? Is it an advantage to the Almighty if you are righteous? Will it be any gain to him if you were perfect? The answer to all this is absolutely not. Whatever you do is no gain to God. He doesn't need you. He's perfect in might, in knowledge, in wisdom and power. And what we do adds nothing to him. He gains nothing. God can never be our debtor. He doesn't owe us anything. And that is the attitude with which we should serve God. Look at Christ himself. Paul, writing to the Philippians, said, Have the same attitude as Christ had, that though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he denied himself all the privileges and took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he became obedient in death and died a criminal's death on the cross. That is the attitude Christ Jesus had, and that is the same thing we should have. David was getting old, and God had told David that the temple was going to be built not by him, but by his son, Solomon. And so before he died, David thought, I need to help my son by gathering all that is needed for the temple to be built. And in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 29, we are told that David said, "'And because of my devotion to the temple of my God, "'I'm giving all my own private treasures of gold and silver "'to help in the construction. "'This is in addition to the building materials "'I've already collected for this holy temple. "'I'm donating, listen, 112 tons of gold 262 tons of refined silver to be used for the overlaying of the walls. And then he called the people to also donate. Then the family leaders and the leaders of the tribes of Israel and the generals and administrative officers all gave willingly for the construction of the temple. And they gave 188 tons of gold, 10,000 gold pieces, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze and 3,750 tons of iron. This is what people were given for the temple. And you think, is that not enough? And David, after they have brought all these, prays a prayer that I want us to read together. 1 Chronicles 29, 13 to 17. He prays, Oh. Our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you and we give you only what we fe- you first gave us. We are here for only a moment. Visitors and strangers in the land of our ancestors were before. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow, gone too, too, so soon without a trace. O oh Lord our God, even the material we have gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name comes from you. It all belongs to you. I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity there. You know I have done all this with good motives and have watched your people offer their gifts willingly. And joyously, so much given, so much sacrifice, so much David has given for the temple, and the people have given. And he says, "Who am I that I should even give you anything? What I've given is only what you have given to me, and I'm giving back to you. If you have a gift, if you have a talent, if you are a, you have a ministry." if you have a position, if you are serving God in any way, it is a privilege to serve God. He has given you the gifts. He has given you the opportunity. He has given you the open door to be able to serve. There's no room for pride. There's no room for boasting. And you are not helping God. You are not making Him gain. It is rather for your blessing. David had a heart, and he was praying to God that his motives would be right, despite all that he's given. So whether you're paying your your tithes, or you're bringing offerings to God, or you're sacrificing your time and efforts for the work of God, remember that he owns everything, and he owns you. So what's the link between faith and what the disciples were doing? in terms of the parable of the unworthy servant. You see, what Jesus was trying to tell them is that if you have a little faith, you will realize that you will begin to be able to do things that you are unable to do for yourselves. So you begin to accomplish things for me. But watch out. Watch out. You are still unworthy servants, And what you do is not what gives you favor in my sight. So if through faith in him, we are able to carry out his commands, we should not become proud that we have earned his favor or approval. No one can earn God's favor. And thank God that Jesus came. We'll be having communion afterwards. If he hadn't come, we were absolutely helpless and hopeless. Paul said, when we were helpless, just at the right time, Christ came and died for us. It's as many of us will not be willing to die for an upright person. But perhaps someone may be willing to die for somebody who is especially good. But this is the good news. But God showed his love for us. His great love. In that, he sent Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And that is the good news that we celebrate when we come to communion. Works are not the basis of our faith. If you're depending on works, it is utterly useless in securing salvation. We are saved by faith and faith alone by the grace of God. And it is that which brings us into God's favor. However, faith in him should produce good works. Let me make it clear. Your good works doesn't bring you God's favor. However, when you have faith in Christ and you are living in his grace, then works must be demonstrated in your life. So there's no question of, I'm saved by grace, I can live anyhow. Anybody who talks that way does not understand grace. Grace is, I've been forgiven so much by a master who loves me and gave himself for me. Therefore, I'm going to live for him and I will obey him willingly because he has done so much for me. God's love for us is unquantifiable. And Paul, when he was writing to the officials, he says, I pray that God will open your eyes to understand how long, how wide, how deep, how high the love of God is. It becomes greater and greater and greater every day. Remember, God does not love us because we are worth anything before him. Rather, it is God's love that gives us worth. Rather, it is God's love that gives us wealth. Who goes to visit the Grand Canyon and stands there looking at the magnificence of it and says to the one standing by, see how great I am. (laughs) Who does that? Because when you see the magnificence of what you're seeing, you realize that you are just a puny man. Who am I, David says, who are my people? that we should even give anything to the Lord. So if you are serving God in any capacity, thank God that you have the privilege to serve the God of the universe. I don't know whether you've been listening to the news, but I find it very, very interesting. When aides who work for the prime minister or the president, the president of the United States, talk about how they felt that privilege of being in the Oval Office to serve the President, when you go there, you're not thinking you're bigger than the President. You're You're just fortunate to be there, to be counted amongst the whole population as worthy to serve the President. It is even more than that when we come to God, who is the author of life and the one who gives us all things. So I have some key questions for you this morning. What motives drive what you do? Think about it for a moment. Whatever you do, whether you're a mother, whether you're a father, whether you play music in the church, whether you serve coffee, whether you're the pastor, whether you sit on the board, whether you're a teacher, whatever you do, what motives drive what you do. And I want us to consider a few points. First, we should learn humility in service. Humility in service. And like I said, in church history, churches break up because leaders fight among themselves. It's power play. Everybody thinks they are important. Everybody thinks they know better and are not ready to listen to the other side and conflicts come we are the important people we are the one who do this and that and that and that and things must be done the way we want it they've missed the whole point that serving god should be done in humility christ himself gave us the example he humbled himself and became obedient and died a criminal's death, a gruesome, humiliating death on the cross so that you and I will become children of God. Number two, there's no place for boasting or power play. No place for boasting or power play. Point someone to me who is boastful of what he or she can do for God. And I would say that person has missed the whole point. Because what is it we can give to him that will make him better, that will make God stronger, that will make God increase? Job says, can anyone help God? Even the wisest person, can they advise God? Not at all. Number three, respect our Christian leaders, but avoid celebrity our hero worship. And I'm going to spend a moment here. You see, the Bible tells us we need to honor our leaders and respect them. And there are people whom God has used mightily. You take the apostle Paul, who wrote nearly uh, half of the whole New Testament. You take the apostles and what they've done, great, great missionaries, the Wesleys, the Spurgeons, they have done great work and we should respect them. Our pastors, our great teachers in the Christian community, we follow their teaching, we are encouraged by them. But remember, after all these, they are mere men and mere women. And they have all the faults and the vulnerability that we humans have. And so it is a danger to put them on a pedestal and almost worship them as our heroes, as our celebrities. We live in an era when celebrity worship is is so magnetic and so powerful that people will faint even before the celebrity appears. And and that is eating itself into what we do, that we put people on a pedestal and worship them and not realize that no matter who they are. The Paul, Paul said, if anybody comes and preaches a different gospel, it doesn't matter who it is, may that person be cursed. Christ is the one we worship. Let us avoid hero worship. And I've seen that faith of many people really, seriously, endangered because somebody they respected, somebody they put on a pedestal, somebody they looked up to somehow, has disappointed them. And that happens because we fail to realize that we are only human beings. God is sovereign. We are only unprofitable servants. Unprofitable means we don't bring any profit to God. He owes us nothing. He cannot be our debtor, but we owe him all our lives. Fourth point. Always remember, we are unworthy unprofitable servants. Only God's love and grace makes us valuable. God loves you and that's why you are worthy. God loves you and that's why you are worthy. It is He who brings you that sense of worth. Isn't that amazing that my sense of worth is not dependent on my failures, it's not dependent on The family I was born in, it's not dependent on my disadvantages. It's not dependent on what I do or what I do not do. My sense of worth is rooted in the love that the almighty God has for me. That love that is unconditional. That love that never fails. That love that flows always. That is the love that makes us valuable before him. What is your motive for serving God? Who are you? Who am I to give God anything to impress him? When all is said and done, we should say we are unprofitable and worthy servants. We have only done what we were supposed to do, we were commanded to do. In that humility, you'll find blessing. In that humility, you see God at work. In that humility, you find that faith that makes it possible to do the impossible, to love your neighbor, to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive, and and not to cause others to sin. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. You are sovereign, you are supreme, you are almighty, you are omnipotent, you are omniscient. Your will equals your power. Whatsoever you will, you do. And no power on earth, in heaven, can thwart your purposes. You are the potentate of time and space. Time and space are no limitations to you. What a privilege, Lord, that we can become your children. Lord, may we realize the God whom we serve, that you owe us nothing, but we owe you all our very lives. Thank you for loving us, for in loving us, you have made us valuable. Lord, may we be humble in service and may we look to you all the time as we serve dutifully, in humility, with no boasting, with no feeling that we have done it all, but to give you all the praise and the glory.